You can grab a seat. It's good to turn around and actually see faces and people. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Chad. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, it would be a joy and an honor. I realize that uh, meeting people is strange right now. It's like, do I shake? Do I bump? Do I keep my distance? All those types of things. Uh, but we're just going to kind of move through all of that stuff. And I get it because even this week, we're trying to, to make sure everybody and all of our families are healthy. And whether it's flu or anything else, we just kind of, we live in a moment. Immediately after Christmas, I, I tested positive in, for COVID and had a week of, of kind of pouting and being uh, just a person sitting back and griping about my circumstances. And so I, I am thankful to be here. I'm thankful to get to, to worship together and just be blessed by the church. And one of the things that Bryce alluded to, it's, he spoke to, but may, you may or may not recognize, is just like we are... Uh, one church with five congregations. And that is that shows itself in a ton of ways. We're able to do something like this conference next week, which is really awesome and a real blessing. And, and we are helped in so many ways as this church plant out in Yukon. But one of the things in which it shows up is that we are actually able to have people from the other congregations come and serve us. And over time, you've, you've seen uh, different people come in here and preach, whether it's Josh or or or, or Kinser has been here from downtown in different places. We've had people come and play in different spots. But this week, we're able to be led by Whitney. Whitney Cacho being here this week is just a, a real blessing. And it's a blessing in the specifics of an individual person. It's a blessing of what it represents as well. That we're, yeah, that's absolutely right. Feel free. Uh, and we are clapping for you, but we're really clapping for God and how he works through the body of Christ. And so thankful. So Zach, who's normally in this spot, Zach uh, has sickness in his family. And, and at the last minute, God was able to bring people because we walk as a body. We walk as one church in five congregations. And that's something that's really special. So it, when you're thinking, man, we're just like some uh, group of people out here in Yukon. We're, we're actually not. We're actually a group of people out here in Yukon that are praying for a congregation out in Shawnee and a congregation downtown and south and Edmond, and they're doing the same out here for us. And so I want to encourage you to do that very thing right now. I want to pray for you, and I want to ask you to pray for me. I have a slight wheeze. Uh, I feel great, but I have a slight wheeze that keeps coming up and a shortness of breath at times. And just simply ask that uh, we'd be people who don't find ourselves falling into the trap uh, of sit up straight church. That we actually would meet and experience the living God today. And so let's pray towards those things. Father, thank you. Meet us. Thank you for the body of Christ already ministering to me today. Thank you for the larger uh, body of Christ, the oneness and fiveness of what we get to do together. Thank you for uh, this crazy season that you have us in, in which who knows who's going to be sick or not. And thank you that the, the condition of our people is nothing that we're alarmed or concerned about today. And thank you, God, for all the ways that you meet us with fresh grace. And we pray that for us again today that we would experience your fullness. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, 
If, if, you're, if you're new with us, if you've been just kind of uh, kicking the tires on Frontline and, or maybe even Faith, we are glad you're here. We are uh, neck deep in a study of this book in the Bible of Mark. And it's one of the four books that they call the Gospels. It's one of these four. And I, I listen, I didn't grow up in church. I, I'm a simple man. Uh, I am not the brightest of bulbs. And, and I just need things explained to me uh, fairly simply. And I'll just give you an example of this. Like I tried to ditch class every single day. Uh, of school every single day. And I th- I've told you this before, but every single day of my senior year, I went in and I told my Spanish teacher, which was right before lunch, that I was having like massive stomach problems. And I just went to lunch twice, like every year. I completely ditched Spanish every single day. And over the time, as an adult, I've run into my Spanish teacher a few times. Uh, and she's deeply concerned about my stomach and how I am and all these types of things. I have apologized both to her and particularly to my English teacher growing up of like, man, I'm sorry. It's not a reflection on you or anything. I was just a knucklehead and let's be honest, I still am. I still am in so many ways. And so I need these things to be as simple and understandable as possible. And we try our best. I'm not always good at it, but we try our best to make these simple. Like, and as we step into Mark, what we, what we hope you see is, is that Mark is broken up into two real distinct parts. The first part is, is really about people and Jesus interacting with people. It's the, the mission and the work of Jesus seen in people. And then you have this moment where Jesus leaves, uh, even geographically, Galilee. He leaves Galilee, this place to the north of Israel, and they're on this walk south, and then they make a westward turn, and, and it says they're heading to Jerusalem, and you're in the second part, right? there. You're in this very real second part, which the entire thing is this march towards the purpose and mission of Jesus, which is about people, but it's about so much more. Jesus, the sacrifice, Jesus going to the cross. It is, it is this march of it. I used to think that the Bible, these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the, these stories of who Jesus is, I, I really did think, I was like, well, they're, they're just competing narratives. Like maybe one tells the real story and the other isn't. One's more accurate and the other isn't. That's, that's not how it is. These are, four, these are four different perspectives that God gives us because he's good and kind to help us understand and to get a fuller picture of what's going on. I'm thankful for Matthew's gospel. And I'm also thankful that we don't just have Matthew's gospel. I'm thankful for John in so many ways that John has served me. But I'm so thankful for the peculiarities of Mark that we get right here and that we get to see in it. And so what we want to do and what we want to invite you to do is just to, to jump in either for the first time or maybe for the first time in a while to remind ourselves of what we're doing here in Mark and, and just to join us on this long walk where we're, we're opening the Bible and we're just asking, like, what does the Bible tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about Jesus? While I was cooped up in my room recently, I, I came across a study which, which said 82% of Americans believe this phrase to be in the Bible. 82% think this, that God helps those who help themselves. 
Just think about that. 82% of Americans think the idea, the phrase, God helps those who helps themselves, who help themselves, is in the Bible. And I just need to be really clear. It's not. It's not in the Bible. And it's one thing to say, well, that's just our, our, our culture is believing this. Like over half of the study was of people who attend church regularly. Over half the people asked or said that they attended church regularly and yet are still thinking like, well, God helps those who helps, help themselves. It's not in the Bible. It's actually, it, it, it's actually the opposite of what the Bible teaches. And yet I find myself understanding where it comes from. <laughs> I find myself in ways probably I don't even recognize, in ways I don't want to admit, thinking and acting the exact same way. I find myself doing all these things. I find myself trying to subtly impress God with different things. I find myself trying to, to do this. It's what I refer to in shorthand as like polish myself up to come to confession or sit up straight type of church. I remember when I was a kid, when we were, we went to church like twice a year in that. And, and, and that was, God worked and used those things in my life. And I remember one time I sat back in the seats and I had my arms across this stuff. And, and I remember my dad kind of like saying, oh, that's not how we sit in church. That's not how we sit in church. And he was like, okay, I got to sit up here in church. All these things. And I know, I, I know this feeling, I, I even have it now, where I subtly try to impress God. Because I probably think more than I even realize, more than I could name in areas that I'm not even aware of, where I'm like, man, it, God helps those who help themselves. We do this too, if we were being really honest, we're, we try to impress other people as well. It, just this morning, I, I had one of our guys here tell me I looked like a bandit or robber. I had another guy. I, I, had, I had my beanie on because I have a bald head and it's cold outside. And he tells me I look like a sailor. Just kidding. It didn't bother me. I was like, I was trying to look like a sailor. I had a guy come up to me at the gas station this morning and he looked at my shoes, which are awesome, by the way. And he looked at my shoes. He goes, those are super cool. Are they Converse? I was like, no, man, they're Vans. And he goes, oh, they'd be really cool if they were Converse. I was like, <laughs> what? I don't even know this guy. He clearly doesn't have fashion sense. And, and, and I'm still trying to impress him this morning at a gas station at 6 o'clock in the morning. And you're like, this is stupid. And I like, my heart is ridiculous and dumb in so many ways. But it is... It's a reflection of these areas in which so often we either get kind of thrown off course, we, we get lured into just trying to impress God instead of receiving from God. We, so many spots in my life, I don't know up from down. And so many spots in my life, I feel like, I feel like are left just saying, God, help me because I don't actually know. And if it's left to you, like God helps those who help themselves, I am out of luck and so are you. The Bible shares this bigger story for us. It shares this, this far more beautiful story. And what we talked about here in Mark and what we see again and again is it tells a story of this king, the king of kings, God himself coming. The king has come and that king changes everything. It changes everything. 
That's what we get to look at in this book. He is the source. He is the goal of life. And if we miss that, if we miss this Jesus, then we actually miss the point. We miss the point for all of it. And so what I want us to do is kind of walk through those two themes, those two parts of this, and kind of see that as the two points today, uh, that Jesus walking with people and the purpose of Jesus coming as, as our guide to kind of refresh ourselves with what Mark is about. If this is your first time walking with us, if, if this is your first time in Mark, this is a great time to jump in and see all of it, because what we, what we start with today is just the presence, the actual physical presence of Jesus with us in this world. That's where we get to be. Look at what Mark chapter 10, verse 32 says. It says, and they were on the road. It's like putting him in a specific place at a specific time in a point in history. They're on a road. They're on a road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. It's so interesting because we've just spent the last uh, few weeks in this Advent season looking at, at the, the longings for the coming of this baby Jesus and what this means. We, we truly spent weeks pointing to this and it, it, it was so good for my soul to pull me out of kind of all the distractions of the Christmas season and, and reminding my heart to long for this one who has come, this baby. And, and we're specifically looking at this season. But it doesn't just stop with the coming of Jesus in a manger. We actually see that Jesus has come not just to eternally be a baby, but he grows up and he does something. He's actually with the people. He wasn't set up on a shelf. He wasn't uh, just kind of put behind glass for everyone to, to see. He's actually on the road with these people. He's on the road with all of these people who are, are a beautiful mess in so many ways, and we get to see it. Marcus is fascinating for us because it shows us God present with us. That's what we talked about with Advent, right? But it's also God leading us. God's ahead of them. Jesus is ahead of them on this road and, and God guiding us. That's what we get right here. You see, Mark in particular, and it's one of the reasons why it's helpful to have all of these gospel accounts, but Mark in particular uh, just sets the camera's gaze, sets all of it on action and less teaching. It's, it's, it's an action-packed book. It is full of movement, full of, of going from here to there. It is a road trip in many ways. It is, it is action over teaching. And, and, and here's one of the clues that you see it. When you get in the other narratives, when you get in Luke or Matthew, you get uh, so many more parables, these, these teachings of Jesus. Luke, for example, has 25 parables. Matthew has 20, Mark 7. There's teaching for sure, but it's, it's not just teaching. It's Mark drawing our attention to this Jesus who has come, this Jesus who changes everything. And, and it's interesting because historians believe, scholars believe that it wasn't just Mark who's trying to remember everything, that this book was actually written so much with the assistance of one of the disciples, Peter. 
that, that so many of the accounts that we get involve Peter's presence. And, and, and what we get is a real Peter slant in the book of Mark. And Peter helps us as we walk through this today. Jesus with people. Peter being this disciple fisherman, this, this guy that is out there. And there's nothing wrong with fishing. In the culture of this moment, though, fishing was not aspirational. Fishing was like not option A, B, or C. It's also uh, had a connotation to it. So to be out on open water for a Jewish person was to be out in what they called chaos. Like the, the sea represented chaos. It represented uh, the, the depths. It rep represented separation from God. It represented so many things. And it, it literally represented this being apart, a drifting. And here's Peter this rough around the edges dude, a, 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 God help, a God who helps those who helps themselves mentality, a guy who, at least in these four books, never quite gets his act together, a guy that we can laugh at. I do. I've laughed a lot at Peter. It's like, oh, this is Peter being Peter again. Like, oh, Peter, uh, he's a, he's a uh, ready, fire, aim guy. Peter's a guy who acts first, thinks second, oftentimes. And, and here's Peter who constantly uh, shows up in the gospel narratives as this guy that you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to do what Peter does. <laughs> I'm not supposed to do what Peter does. He's, he's out there on this boat, but figuratively, it, symbolically, he's alone and he's drifting. You see, Mark isn't as much a how-to manual for all this it is, as much as it's a who and a what explainer. Like, it, it continually goes to these scenes and these people and this purpose of Jesus, and it explains who he is and why he's come. It helps us to see all of those things. Already in this book, through the first half in particular, and through, through the sections that we've already walked through, we've seen Jesus with the suffering. We've seen him with those who were left out of so much of life. We've seen him draw near to the brokenhearted. We've seen him with the rich. We've seen him with the powerful. We've seen him with the poor. We've seen him with the destitute. We've seen him with those that the world would leave behind. And it's not just a book that tells us about this nice guy, Jesus. It actually highlights something really important for us in that it was necessary for Jesus to draw near. It was necessary for these people and it was necessary for you and me. Just later on in this very chapter, Jesus tells them why he's come. In verse 45, he says this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but catch this, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, as a ransom for many. Romans goes on to explain that, and it talks about several things. It talks about the peace with God that we're, we're given through this. It talks about God's love being poured out through this ransom being paid. It, it talks about that Christ dying for the ungodly, paying this price. It gives us all these reasons, and again, and again, Mark is zooming in on people and purpose for us to understand who this Jesus is and why he's here. It's 
showing Jesus present with people in their suffering for a reason. One of those reasons, one of the reasons that we find the, the gospel of Mark and these other gospels trustworthy is it doesn't try to sugarcoat it. It doesn't try to just give us a highlight reel. It's not, it's not the top 10 of Jesus. Notice where our passage goes next. It says in Mark 10, verse 32, it tells us how the people saw this. So Jesus is walking ahead. Remember, they're going to Jerusalem. And, and all the people that are around, it says, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. I think it's interesting because it's so often how we respond to Jesus. Like, and sometimes, like, sometimes I'm amazed. And other times I'm like, oh, God's going to get me for that. And sometimes I, I, sometimes I can stand in awe and worship, and other times I'm not. Other times I, I keep coming back to you this, like, is God, can God really forgive us? Can God really work in this mess? If you've ever had the thought, which maybe if we were honest, we all have had this thought at some point, could God really, if God really knew all of this about me, would he, would he come near to this? We have these spots where we keep coming back and we keep running into the trap of like, well, I guess God helps those who help themselves. Instead of believing or seeing what it actually says, which is, and God draws near to these people. And again and again, in so thankful for Peter, we see it that Peter has not cleaned himself up yet. But when we get the rawness of it, we also get these accounts. And one of them I think is worth highlighting is just this account of, of God with these people. It's surprising that Mark even includes it. it, it it's basically, hey, the guys were hungry. Jesus and the guys were hungry. So they go into this house. They sit down in this house. And then what we're told is a crowd forms around them so much so that they can't even eat is what happens. This crowd comes. They can't even eat. And you're like, this isn't a teaching moment. This is just a weird story that is surprising. One author refers to uh, Jesus as freshly strange. And what we get are people amazed or afraid, but there's always like, what is going on? This is not what I expected in this. He's freshly strange. What it says next, it says, it, it says that they came, they came to like actually take him away. His family, verse, chapter three, verse 21, it says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. Like, just, I just want you to think for a second. This is his family. I, I'm an only child, so I have to stretch a little bit. But I have, I have three kids. And if one of them, if we were like, hey, this one is set apart for something different, the other sisters would be like, nah, nah. Nah, we're not having that. <laughs> I used to travel overseas a lot, and they would ask me every time, they would say, which one's your favorite? Which kid's your favorite? I was like, no, nah, I don't have any favorites. And they were like, no, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And so you have this moment, like imagine siblings, maybe you're a sibling, and here are the family of Jesus. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has had all these moments there, and we assume mom is there. All these people here in Jesus' life, and they show up and are like, 
They went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. This is so important for us because critics will often say like, man, these, these books are just propaganda telling you all the good things and leaving out the bad. And what we see here is that that is not the case. This would be one of those to leave on the cutting room floor. And we're thankful that we have the whole of scripture that we get to walk through because we recognize that this isn't the whole of the story. James, brother of Jesus, we can assume is there, described as family of Jesus, shows up in this to haul him away. James, brother of Jesus, has his life changed. Why? He's around Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. He looks and sees all of these things about Jesus. And later on, James writes a letter to other believers who are struggling to know up from down. And here's how he opens that letter. He, just, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what a change. What a change from here trying to haul off Jesus to the, to the asylum to being able to stand and put before everyone, my brother is Lord. <laughs> How did that happen? He walked with Jesus. He, walked, he watched this Jesus. He listened to this Jesus. And ultimately, he believed this Jesus. If, if we're to be honest, if we're to be honest, like we're a big old bag of paradoxes. I love how this quote says it. It helps me so much. It, it seems to have been one that's been around my life for a long time. But one author puts it this way. When I get honest, I can admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest. And I still play games. Like, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But far too often, that's me. Far too often, that is me. Far more than I would like to admit. Far more than I'm proud of. Far too often, that's me. And what I, what I come to recognize is that following Jesus is not someone who is, is good or good enough. It's someone who experiences the goodness of God. You see, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is not that one day I raised my hand, I walked forward somewhere, I prayed a prayer and I really meant it and I signed a card or something. And like, I, I really, I, right then in that moment, I really meant it. It's not, it's not all about that, though that can be helpful. It's not being good enough. It's not trying to, to clean yourself up. It's experiencing the goodness of God. And so listening to Jesus in his own words, seeing Jesus, taking this walk with Jesus through Mark actually helps us 
because Jesus didn't just talk about being a moral person. He didn't just talk about uh, do this, don't do that. And there are spots, even in Mark, where that comes up. But Jesus ultimately talked most of the time about himself and his purpose, the reason he was coming, what it was all about. And so what we get to in the second part is the truth of who Jesus is and why he has come. See, people and purpose. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Notice where this goes. This last part, in taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, we see, we, pardon me, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes and they'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days, he will rise. See, this is a purpose conversation. He's like, this is why I'm here this ransom for many. This is the reason for being here. It's Jesus not just going to their expectations, but exceeding their expectations. Because these people had heard, like, there's one who's coming, right? There's one who's coming. And Jesus is reframing that in something altogether more, altogether different. He consistently goes to people. He consistently shows up in their life. Some of those people are are saying, God, you're here. And they're they're looking for uh, a savior. And others are just living life. and, And God shows up in their life. And he calls them. He calls people who would call themselves religious. He calls people who would, who would say, yes, I love God. And he calls people who are mess who don't even know that. Or would maybe even say, like, I'm not sure God would have anything to do with me. It's interesting because Mark's favorite word, this word comes up again and again, and we've highlighted it, but I just want to bring it up to you. Mark's favorite word seems to be immediately. Immediately. And just in chapter one, like four times, it says, that Jesus called them. Immediately, they dropped their nets. Immediately, they followed him. Immediately, he went into this space. Immediately, this person left. Left things of value, left, left people, left things that were significant. But why to follow Jesus? Because there was something about this Jesus that was different. He doesn't just call the people who have their act together. He's calling anyone. And he's saying, follow. Interestingly in that, in chapter one, we get this story and it's right off the bat, it says immediately they dropped their nets. And who was that that immediately dropped their nets? But Peter. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that Peter uh, is, is one that's highlighted. I, I'm so thankful. And not because it makes me feel better about myself, and sometimes it does. Uh, and not because there's times where I can read it and then laugh at stupid things of Peter. But I'm thankful because it gives us hope that a messed up person like me and a messed up person like others, I don't want to say you, but messed up people can find hope in this God. Peter ends up writing his own letter. He actually writes two. 
And what's interesting about Peter is he doesn't get his life turned around in the Gospels. It's after the resurrection that you see this in which Peter is an entirely different person. All those immediately, the people who jumped out of the boat, this Peter, those disciples could not have, have even understood where all those immediately were going to lead. They, they had no idea where it was all going or what it would end up. They could not have understood what God was going to do in them or in through them. They could not have, have grasped all of what God was doing in this. And yet God has a purpose and a plan for people. And Peter this one who immediately dropped his nets and followed, this one whose life was still a mess after getting out of that boat, this one who, who figuratively is in chaos, this one who was left out from so much who felt like maybe God's done with me. Maybe God doesn't want anything to do with me. Has God show up in his life and say, follow me, follow me. Peter later on writes a letter to a bunch of people who are probably trying to figure out up from down and what it looks like to walk in the midst of all this chaos. And he says this. In 1 Peter, he says, in chapter 2, he says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. He writes his second letter, and here's how he opens it. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that to pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us the precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You see, friends, Peter's describing what God did in his life when he called him. And he's laying that out for you and for me. Later on in, in Peter's second letter, he says this. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter, this, maybe not the brightest of bulbs, Peter, who was really slow to see his life turned around. Peter, rough around the edges. Peter, who consistently, through Mark's letter and the others, does not hide his warts. He actually shows them all. But it says, God is not slow. He's patient. He's patient. And he calls us to himself. 
And friends, this try harder, do better, be more mentality is exhausting. This God helps those who helps himself mentality is a lie. God moves to people. Not because we're good enough. Not because you have your act together, but because he is good enough. And he has his act together. Will you pray with me? The invitation this morning, the invitation from Mark is to walk with this Jesus. I think the invitation that we hear from Peter in his letter is to walk with Jesus, walk with this Jesus, see who he is, just like James saw who he was. Bring your objections, bring your questions. Bring your fears, bring your doubts, bring all of it to Jesus and look at who this Jesus is. And may you see, you see what Peter saw. May you know this Jesus that Peter came to know. May you trust this God that leads us to his grace and to his goodness. Because he is far more than any of us could ever hope for.